We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I'm so excited to continue my conversation with Scott Johns. What a great conversation, man. I love the stuff that Education Elements is doing. And we're going to talk about student reflection and ownership today, integrated digital content, and about some of the challenges we face in implementing personalized learning. I got to tell you, this is a great conversation that I just love. We're also going to talk about the thing that I have always wanted for every student and That is an IEP, not a special education program for every kid, but an individualized education program that every kid can have so that we meet that student's individual needs. I believe that it's possible, and I think that Scott and I talk about the keys to that in this episode and the one last week. So I love this topic. Thank you so much for listening, and please share this with somebody else who needs to hear more about personalized learning because it is a way to reach all of our students. Thank you so much. Here's my interview. Would you like to talk about that next topic, student reflection and ownership? Yeah, absolutely. This is an area that I I love to talk about. The idea behind student reflection and ownership, it's it's built on the research of metacognition, the idea that we need to reflect on our own learning. We need to think about how we think. Through that process, we're able to have pretty significant gains. I think for either of us or for anyone that's gone to college um, or any teacher or principal, if you think on what caused you to be successful, at some point we developed an ability to leverage metacognition to stop and think, well, okay, I took that test and I didn't do very well. What do I need to change? What do I need to do better at? What were my study practices? Um, How can this impact my behavior? 
And for students, we think that they need the same opportunity. They need an opportunity to stop and reflect on a quiz that they did not perform well at or a collaborative project that they could have done better and just stop and think, well, was I hungry? Was I tired? Um, Was I sitting next to my friend? What do I need to do better next time? And how do I set a goal for that? And so we, we see a variety of ways to do this. And it it certainly is different at the primary level from the secondary level. At the primary level, we see a lot of uh, schools developing simple metrics, whether it's just smiley face or frowny face for kindergartners or like a one to five system in terms of level of understanding. Uh, And that level of understanding can lead to the group that the student is ultimately in, whether they're meeting with the teacher right then or not, uh, or whether they meet with other students, it can determine their pathway of learning. Or at the secondary level, we see opportunities for journals, or I I even saw one the other day where a a teacher had a a Twitter reflection where they had 140 characters to reflect on how they did on, on an assignment. It can be a variety of creative ways just so students have an opportunity to stop and reflect. And what I like about that last example is it doesn't really matter how they reflect or how long they reflect. The fact that they're reflecting is a great start in the right direction that anybody can do. And that's a pretty simple thing to start doing is figuring out some way for them to think about what they did and how it worked for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and we're pretty excited about this, the, the things that we've been able to see and the opportunities for teachers to set goals with students so that they can boost their own achievement and meet with students to, to think about how they can improve this. I think the other area that underlies the student reflection ownership is, is the idea of self-directed learning. There's an increasing amount of research coming out around self-directed learning and the idea that, that students need authentic opportunities to practice self-direction. Uh, it's similar to other things we've talked about. Self-direction is a skill and it would be it would be a real shame for a student to graduate from a K-12 system and never have an opportunity or very many opportunities to practice that skill of self-direction. We think that self-direction is something that can be developed over the over the K-12 experience with increasing amounts, whether it it starts off with just small group instruction where, hey, I'm not with the teacher. I need to be able to prioritize my tasks and understand um, how to stay on task and complete my assignment to much more complex systems where teachers may develop a system for students to collaborate on projects with others and really take ownership of what that looks like. So I think it can take a variety of different formats at the K-12 level. Yeah. You know, we at my school this last year started an inquiry class where students uh, were able to figure out what they wanted to learn based on the standards and, and what they needed to do. And really cool how it came together. We had a couple students who were going to be going on trips, so they took advantage of going to a different place and learning the history about it. And one student was going to Boston. And so she was able to get her U.S. history credit by studying the role of Boston in 
the early history of the United States. And then she went there and went to all the places that she had studied about. And I mean, it was just a really cool presentation that she ended up giving at the end of the year about that. And so instead of us having this U.S. history book that she had to read through, we let her take ownership and figure out what what it was that she wanted to learn there because she knew she was going on this trip. So when you do that, it really brings out the abilities of kids to get excited about something that we say they're hardly ever excited about, you know? So that was, that was a really cool thing to be able to see. Yeah, that's a great example. There was a, a blog post I read, uh, I think this came out last year, from Grant Wiggins, where he, he became a student for a day and, and sat through high school. And he discovered that about 90% of his day, he was just sitting and listening and had no opportunity to make any choices. And I think we can all agree that we're more invested in something when we have an opportunity to make a choice and have a little bit of autonomy and whatever that might be. And so I think uh, I think sometimes that choice can be scary and daunting for school leaders or for teachers to provide. But we, we think about it as instead of just kind of opening up the floodgates of choice, just giving like small structured choices, whether it's to choose this or that, to choose to demonstrate mastery on an assignment by making a a 3D model or by making a report, whatever it might be, but just kind of finding small ways to to kick off choice and infuse choice into the classroom. Yeah, that is is very important. And that's something that, you know, we try to do at my school and have seen students write songs to in lieu of doing a biography paper or something like that, where they get to use their talents and their skills to demonstrate their mastery of different things. And that shadow a student thing that uh, the Stanford Design School is a, I guess, a sponsor of, you know, that really helps us go through and, and see what it's like to be a kid. And some of us would be quite surprised <laughs> to be a student for a while. And, you know, it's, it's something that I participated in last year and plan and participate in this year also. So and plan to continue to do at least in one way, shape, or form every year because it really helps you get an idea of what your kids are going through, and it's a powerful thing to be sure. Yes, yes, and we strongly encourage it. That's great. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about the fourth core value, which is uh, integration of tech digital content. Absolutely. Uh, so I think a lot of times when, when some people think about personalized learning, this is this is all that they think about is the idea of computers or tablets or screen time and and sometimes we can I think people can imagine somewhat of a uh, you know walking into a classroom and and students are just zoned out on computers all day and and that's what personalized learning is one of the reasons that we have the core four is to try to emphasize that yes technology can play a part but it is not the emphasis and I, I think we think about the core four as somewhat of a lily pad. And if you if you can imagine standing on an edge of a metaphorical lily pad, uh, then you're going to tip over. And it, we think of the core four as kind of that lily pad that each of those four areas, if you, if you hunker down on any one of those, you're going to tip over. The idea is that you need to have a, a balanced approach. And that certainly goes with integrated digital content. Uh, I think teachers can certainly do personalized learning without technology, but we've seen that it can be really hard to scale personalized learning without 
some form of technology. So when we think about integrated digital content, we really emphasize the word integrated. Uh, we, th- we think that that means that students need to be integrated in the classroom and no way do we want a student off in a corner working on a laptop or a tablet doing tasks that are unrelated to what the class is, is studying or working on. We think that the digital content that is that is being used should be integrated with the curriculum and the goals that the teacher has for the class. In all ways, it should be integrated. We've seen a lot of an increase in the effectiveness of digital tools over the last few years, and we're expecting this to increase. There's a lot of digital tools coming out that allow students to take a diagnostic exam, and then based on that diagnostic exam, allows us it, the underlying algorithm will spiral up or spiral down to really meet the student's needs. You can imagine for an educator to be able to personalize the path of for 30 students in a class day in and day out, that would be unfeasible. It would be, it'd be really difficult to do. But using digital tools, uh, students and, and the underlying algorithms of those digital tools, then schools can, then students can be met and challenged and have remediation pathways specific to what they need. One example, there's a digital tool that uh, takes a nonfiction article and will level set it to the lexile level of each student. And so the entire class can read the same article, but it's just been adjusted to the lexile level of of the students, and that way you can still have discussions and whatnot, but every student can participate and, and feel a part of that. Is that Newzella? Newzella and Achieve 3000 both do that, yep. Cool. Maybe the last point I'll put on integrated digital content is that, as I said earlier, we think type feedback loops are very important. Digital content allows another way for teachers to provide type feedback loops because the digital tools are becoming better and better at providing data on the backside and and giving students an idea of where they're at. And ultimately, the teacher can use that data for groupings or for targeting instruction, whatever that might be. Yeah, that's it's exciting to think about that. And, you know, for those of us who have been in classrooms as large as, as I have and how many kids you've got to work with, everybody knows that it's tough having large class sizes. And if you can shrink that class size in any way, it, it certainly helps and really benefits the kids by doing that. You know, one of the complaints that I've heard about personalized learning is that if we're making these database decisions and kids aren't ready to move on and we slow down our scope and sequence and don't don't keep up with it, then we're going to end up not teaching the second half of of all of our different content areas and kids aren't going to be ready for the next school year. What's your answer to that, Scott? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that on the flip side of that, sometimes we've spoken with uh, leaders who think that Personalized learning is simply a, an acceleration for some students. We're just trying to accelerate through the material. Mm-hmm. Really, I, I, and I think this is a really good point, Jethro. When we think about it, we think that we think about the current configuration of a classroom. If we just said a very traditional classroom, let's say we realize that, and it's a classroom of thirty students, we realize that the needs of all thirty students are not being met, and so. When we think about it, we, we think that, okay, let's just say that there's uh, somewhat of a high group and a medium group and a group that is, is lower or is struggling. Well, we want to meet the needs of all those students, but so often we're just meeting the needs of the middle. And so typically those students who are on the lower side are typically the ones that are left behind, and that's when we see 
year over year gaps where we, you know, students get into eighth or ninth grade and they're reading on a third or fourth grade level where they've just kind of been lumped in with the middle uh, for so long. So, yes, I think that personalized learning does take a hard stance that, yeah, we, we want to serve those students who are struggling or have been struggling. And a lot of times our minority students, we want to make sure that they're being met. But at the same time, we want to think about those students that are on the other end of the spectrum that are moving ahead. What I've seen in some of the most innovative classrooms um, that I've worked with, so these are some classrooms in Denver and in Arizona and in Indianapolis, then they've, they've taken those opportunities to deepen the understanding for the, the students that are moving ahead. So instead of moving way ahead, they say, okay, you've met, you've met these standards. Let's take an opportunity to dive deeper and to do collaborative projects or do some type of work study or a project of interest for them, whatever it might be. Uh, they infuse a lot more project-based learning elements um, for those students And let's focus and really target on those students that are falling behind. Let's make sure that they're having some interventions in place. Ideally, I I think that still, I mean, even me saying that, then I, I mean, I think that there can certainly be a case that the, that would be unmanageable as a teacher, as you think about that broad spectrum. Ideally, we will be able to get to a place where our system won't be so grade dependent or grade band dependent and students will be able to move a little bit more fluidly, not in an extreme way, but just in small ways to be able to get their needs met. But that's not the case everywhere and, and certainly not in most places. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the real challenges facing us as an education system right now. You know, for example, I've got a daughter who has Down syndrome and she's significantly lower but she's still moving along in the grade. So she's going to come into sixth grade next year and she is not prepared for reading sixth grade content. And, you know, any like going to a science class is not going to be very effective for her unless there's a lot of effort put in to make sure that she can access the content that she's so far below on. And, you know, I think, I think the personalized learning is the answer to that, not the silver bullet answer, but the answer that allows us to figure out a way to to reach her and still move her along with the things that she will need to know for her education. How does personalized learning uh, work with kids with disabilities? Great question. And I, I think in many ways that I've as, as I've worked with a lot of special educators and we've worked with them in workshops and trainings and they've thought more holistically about the core four elements that I've just shared, then special educators generally say, well, this is like, this is providing, this is almost like providing an IEP for every student. This is about thinking. This, we've been exactly. Doing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've been thinking about this for years and many times we see that special educators, this is just like a light bulb for them where they realize, hey, these are the powerful strategies and interventions that we have put in place for these students for a long time. Why can't we have these for all students? You know, why can't we, why can't we take this approach? So I, I think that question, and I, it sounds like you're aligned with me 
uh, <laughs> yes. really well with this, but I totally agree. This is an opportunity to look at each individual student instead of lumping them together. And special educators, in many ways, are are very well equipped to look at their students this way and to think about their needs much more holistically than we we see the the general educators. Yeah, one of my. Uh, little pet projects, I guess you could say, is the idea of providing an IEP for every student, not a special education for every student, but an individualized education program for every student. How can we create that for the students in our schools so that they actually get their needs met no matter what their needs are? And that's something that I've struggled with and tried to implement many, many different times. And, you know, it, it takes effort. And that's, you know, what I said to you before about wanting to make personalized learning scale. It can be done in some small rural sites where there's 20 kids and two teachers or something like that. But when I had 210 kids in six periods, how was I able to do that? And it takes effort and it's certainly not easy, but I think that it's so powerful when it does start to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that becomes a big question at the secondary level. You know, we're seeing so many kids coming in and out of our classroom, like, how can we possibly do this? Uh, we have seen some schools that have, have shifted to much more open classrooms where they've, they've been more co-teaching or they've even had torn out a few walls and put in. So they have like, I don't know, like 70 or 80 students in a room, which sounds crazy, but they provide each student with an individualized plan. And then they have two or three teachers that are in that room and are pulling small groups of students based on the data that they're having and seeing and make sure they're meeting with them daily to just push them and to target their instruction and and assist them, which is, I think, one exciting way and hopefully something that we can see going forward, um, thinking beyond just the walls of a of a classroom. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a, a great conversation, very insightful for me, and it's always nice to hear somebody who <laughs> who is feeling the same things that I am about education in general. My last question for every guest is, what is one thing that a principal can do starting today to be a transformative principal and implement personalized learning more effectively in their school? That is a great question. What is one thing that a principal can do to start implementing personalized learning now? So in in our work, we use a process called design thinking um, from Stanford. Yep. I, I think a lot of educators are familiar with it. And, and uh, Scott, real quick, uh, if you haven't heard my interview with Susie Wise from the Stanford Design oh, yeah. School. Go back and listen to that, transformativeprincipal.org, search for Susie Wise. You'll find her interview, and she talks a lot about the design thinking process and how it applies to education. So didn't mean to cut you off, but want to make sure people know that we've got a, a background on that one as well. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And yep, design thinking is something that we we think is very powerful uh, for a lot of reasons. We think it's a powerful for educators to think of themselves as designers. Um, it's been fascinating to see light bulb moments where teachers can think, I'm a designer in my classroom. I can design my classroom to meet the needs of my students, and I can iterate very rapidly. Yeah. Just love that process. But one of the foundational principles, if not the foundational principle of design thinking, is the idea of empathy. And when we work with teachers and with district leaders and school leaders, we really try to focus on that idea of 
empathy, empathy for students, empathy for teachers to understand what are the needs that they have, how are their needs being met, and how are they, their needs not being met. And so we think a great place to start is by having conversations with teachers, having conversations with students. We've seen schools do focus groups to ask students, well, how are we meeting your needs and how are your needs not being met? How could we make school more engaging for you? Really starting a dialogue and trying to empathize with students and teachers and parents to understand what they're feeling and and what are their priorities? How have things changed since we were in school? Uh, Whatever it might be, I think that would be my my key piece of advice, uh, really focusing on empathy. Yeah, I think that is great advice. Scott, how do people uh, learn more from you, get in touch with you, follow you on social media? How do we connect? Yes. Uh, so people can email me at any time. My email is scott at edelements.com. Um, our, our website is edelements.com. Um, my Twitter handle is uh, at Scott P. Johns, uh, P is in Paul. And so please get a hold of me anytime. I'm anxious to continue conversations and appreciate conversations like this to be able to share and, uh, and think about new things. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principle Podcast, Scott. Thank you, Jethro. Wow. Pretty amazing, right? And I got to tell you, that empathy is powerful. Get your students' input. Learn what they need to do, what they want you to do to make their lives better. And we can totally do it. And when we really focus on each individual student and pay attention to them, it creates powerful results. Uh, my assistant principal, Damon Hargraves, who uh, recently just left to become the director of technology, he would always remind me that it's about not reaching every student, but about reaching each student. And that's what we need to do. And when you change that verbiage, it means a little bit more. So thank you for listening to this. If you wouldn't mind going into iTunes and leaving a rating of this podcast, that would help me out and help other people find out about the show. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Transformative Principles is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.